Well, the wood pigeons and the blackbirds kick off this episode today. I don't know how I haven't done any of the episodes from uh, starting from the centre of Padfield, but walking from the Peel's Arms, a popular restaurant and pub with an excellent quiz and some mighty Sunday dinners, I've got to say. Today we're heading out I call it the sun and moon road because I once saw the sun and the moon at the same time, but it's towards Woodhead Road. We are heading to one of my favourite spots and I've saved this for my final episode, Walking With A Guest. And uh, we're going to break this in two. So I'm going to walk all the way to the T-junction where Woodhead Road is. I'm hoping we may get to hear some lapwings when we get there. And then we're going to head over a stile onto access land and follow a similar route to where I walked with Alan to go to Brammer Edge to see one of the crash sites. But we're going to go and delve into the subject of Devil's Elbow and all the stories that associate with that. Fortunately, someone crazy enough to come on the ride <laughs> is uh, Matt Hill, also known as M.T. Hill. I kind of feel like it's a bit of a rapper name, Matt, I've got to say. M.T. Hill. Yeah, most people just say empty, like, you know, empty hill. (laughs) So, yeah, not quite as cool as a rapper, sadly. (laughs) So, Matt is a writer of many varying cool kinds, everything from sci-fi to the landscape. Uh, He's a copywriter. And you are a multi-published author. I feel privileged. You have <laughs> books available in Waterstones. Yeah. Other retailers are available. I was going to say, all good independent bookshops. <laughs> yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> Matt, where are, you, where are you from? So, grew up in um, Hyde, well, Motraman Hyde as a kid. Um, so, I've kind of been around here most of my life. I disappeared at 18 for a good few years and then moved back up here uh, in 2016. So, yeah, now we know I live in Glossop and this is kind of our it's our playground really so yeah one of the things that i love you know watching on your social media is you really love walking the hills around here too yeah 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 walking and running these bits um which is fairly new for me as well really certainly as a kid even though we lived in the shadow of them if you like we never actually explored them um they always felt quite forbidding and probably the closest i got was driving over the woodhead with my dad um lots and lots of times because his partner lives on the other side of the pennines so yeah actually discovering them since we've moved back has been probably our favorite thing about being here really just being able to get out into them so easily from our doorstep Mm. i think there's a lot of people who have maybe looked a little outward and enjoyed the green spaces more since lockdown and and i'm hoping that now this project allows people to get to know the space a little bit deeper i mean as we're walking down the road we just walked past uh, a row of pansies on my way to you i was walking past a whole garden full of daffodils, um, some a rose bush with loads of beautiful pink roses. It really does feel like you're coming on a walk with me at the right time yeah. of this month. Yeah. It feels like the weather is starting to lift a little bit. Whilst it's not blue skies as we kind of walk out on the, the open road. And we can see all Tim Whistle Nar to the left of us and where we're heading Peaknays in front of us. 
There's uh, grey clouds, but they're not quite light. I think we might get lucky today as we walk the hill. So writing, you know, how, what, what kind of drew you to become a writer? What is it that you love about what you do? Well, that's a big one. Um, I mean, I think it is, it's an outlet, isn't it? I mean, it's a bit of a kind of cliche to say that, really. But I think um, in terms of, certainly in recent years, the contrast of being able to do, you know, my kind of corporate copy, if you like, which is writing for businesses, writing for clients, which is great and can be fun in its own way. I think having fiction, it's a bit more kind of, you know, the boundaries are off it. You can, you can kind of do what you want, really. And I think in terms of being able to just process things, explore things, discuss things, add to a conversation around things, um, I find that really fun. Uh, I find it really rewarding. And I suppose at this point, after, I guess it's 15 years now I've been writing, there's not much else I can do, so <laughs> you're kind of stuck with it. So you say, well, I might as well carry on. See, I find it fascinating. I can't, <laughs> I, can't I don't have the discipline to sit down and write. Yeah. Give me hit record on a microphone. I'll talk to you for hours. <laughs> as many people listen to this will know. But when if someone says to me, right, sit down, I need you to write a book, I'd be like, whoa! Yeah. I mean, I, th- I suppose in that sense, you know, once you've done your first manuscript, and I, did, I you know, I did write a, a good couple before anything started to happen for my stuff, and I, you know, I, I look back on those things fondly, and I also am very grateful that they never saw the light of the day because they were terrible. But you do learn that discipline, but equally you learn that writing a book, it's just a case of, writing a chapter at a time instead of thinking of it as you know the overall project it builds very steadily over for me a very long period of time and once you're in it that discipline kind of starts to build itself and you 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 do reach a tipping point where the momentum's there and you don't really think about anything else at that point and that's always quite a, a scary time because you start <laughs> you, you risk dropping balls elsewhere in your life i think um, but the discipline's part of it, you know, I, I enjoy that it's... Because I'm not actually very disciplined, and I'm a procrastinator, and... Uh, and I do think um, writing books has given me some kind of focus. <laughs> Where do you write? Uh, I've got a shed in the garden. Oh, yeah, classic. Classic little shed that we, uh, we bought it, actually, in 2019 we put that in. I've been fortunate to hear you read some of your work um, at George Street Bookstore. You seem like you're, you kind of factor in the landscape as a big inspiration for your writing. Yes, and more and more actually, because it's, I think it's, uh, it, I, I mean, landscape, I, I, I mean, I've always written about cities actually. So when we moved here, it was almost an exploration of, well, what can I do with this new landscape, if you like? And actually, I think there's a, there's a bit of unfurrowed ground in the sense that I, I like n- nature <laughs> being out in this, even if it's not necessarily directly writing about being on the moors or whatever else. There's a lot of feelings you get that you can explore through that, whether that's, you know, solitude, whether that's kind of, you know, peace, whether that is just feeling a little bit more connected to some of the stuff that's happening around you, you know, and even just having a more of an interest in some of the interesting kind of developments that happen in with things like, you know, peat restoration and bog restoration and all that kind of stuff. It's really interesting. And, even, and, and then speaking, you know, more broadly, and obviously it's maybe quite lofty, but obviously a lot of speculative fiction now is concerned with climate change and has to be because it's so kind of essential to, you know, the future. And um, 
you know, things like sphagnum and, and other stuff. I think that's how you pronounce it. Maybe it's sphagnum. Sphagnum. Yep. <laughs> um, sphagnum moss, if yeah. you're not sure. Google that. It looks beautiful. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's absolutely critical for carbon capture. And, you know, it's an amazing natural carbon sink that we have on the moors up here. Um, and it's, it's kind of rarely talked about, you know, where we talk about the rainforest as being a classic kind of, you know, we need to protect the rainforest. But there are habitats much closer to home, which are really kind of important to protect and, and think about. And that's, you know... That's, that's interesting to me, both as a writer and as a kind of local, if you like. Yeah, I'm I mean... Local, maybe I'm not local yet, but... <laughs> I was going to say, do you consider yourself a city boy or a um, country boy now? Oh, that's a tricky one. I think I think probably I'm still a bit of a city boy, to be honest, you know. I'm not wandering around. I'm still a bit squeamish about carcasses and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like, it's like anything else, isn't it? Um, I enjoy living here and I feel very lucky to live here, so... You know, I could, I could be persuaded to become a country boy, I'm sure. Well, the rule that we were talking about with Billy Wardle, I think it was episode five, was you become local after 30 years. Right, OK, well, I've got a way to go then. I think. <laughs> that is an off-the-record rule. I'm not saying it's dead certain. <laughs> this um, bit that we're coming to now, so we're just walking slowly uphill. It's a gradual climb. We can see the trees in front of us, the brown, grey trees as we reach the T-junction for Woodhead Road. And there's fields to the left and to the right and this is where I've been hearing and seeing the lapwings. I really hope they come out to play for us today, Matt. It's my favourite little go. place. I can hear them. And there's one right on the field in front of us. love it and what, there's all the birds in the distance I've not got my glasses on what's happening there's lots of them <laughs> dancing lots of, <laughs> lots of birds just hundreds of birds just moving round and round and all the the field is just filled with molehills so many molehills hundreds of molehills and then those two little lapwings dancing oh I'm so glad they came out to play I really am hopefully you enjoyed listening to that but we're gonna pause for a second um because we're going to need to walk along some of the Woodhead Road and all you're going to hear is cars and we need to walk single file. <laughs> I think it's uh, the sensible thing. We're going to take a left at the T-junction and just a little bit after a row of trees, not very far, before the bend anyway, for the, for the cars, there is a stile on the right-hand side of the wall. We're going to climb that, walk up a big hill, straight ahead, follow some Land Rover tracks and uh, climb to the very top of the hill which is at the moment slightly in front to the right of where the T-junction is. So we'll talk to you at the top and get into some of the, the mystery behind how Nell's Pike and Peak Nays got their name. Well, we've now climbed higher up the hill and we have reached the top of Peak Nays 
and uh, a reasonably clear day actually the blue sky is slowly emerging to the right of us where i was sat with alan the other day you can see just about in the distance the home moss mast and then to the left a very hazy gray foggy manchester classic manchester <laughs> <laughs> we are overlooking well bottoms reservoir we can see armfield reservoir in the distance parts of hadfield and even the uh, the main road which takes you up to the Mottram crossroads and we've actually kind of perched on the side of the hill where we're facing um towards Timwistle Nar because just down below us is the uh, the devil's elbow which most people probably have heard about but they're not quite sure if they could actually picture it or place it on a map devil's elbow is actually a part of the road which cars drive on the woodhead road and it's very distinctive because if you're a formula one fan it looks like a hairpin um <laughs> you know you've got to slow down to about 20 do, i'd yeah. say if you're in a car uh, if you're on a bike go for it um but yeah it's um it's always a place that's kind of caught my eye it's like wow what kind of weird, unique little space that is. And I thought this would be a perfect place to bring a sci-fi writer to talk about folklore. <laughs> Some of my favourite accounts, which um, we'll get into. We've got a couple of books with us here today because I couldn't not bring a book with you, could I? Nope. But the, the, my favourite accounts have been about the giant slugs which live around I, here. When, when you sent me the uh, the, out, the off-cut from, the, from this, I th- the giant slug is the one that caught my attention as well. <laughs> I mean, it's not really to do with the name of Devil's Elbow, no. but there has been a number of reports uh, from <laughs> railway workers who say that they saw a giant slug coming down the hill where we are, going across the road, and then kind of like slipping back over a wall. <laughs> one particular gentleman, John Davies, um, who we've mentioned numerous times in this series he was a, a gentleman who worked on the railways for 50 plus years he lived at uh, where Crowden station used to be at the railway cottages since 1912 I think and uh, he talked about seeing this slug come over and he hadn't been drinking he made sure that he put that you know clarification <laughs> in but he said that it had these big eyes that had like pupils like a human that were rolling and rolling and it was making a weird gritting sound gritting that's a good word isn't it <laughs> there you go so you can add that for free into your, <laughs> the key, <laughs> so the books that we've got here uh, have been kindly lent to me i think these were lent to me by billy wardle of tint whistles so cheers billy uh longdendale the traveler's valley it's legends and history Gillinis greenman and this has got fantastic i've got to say i like a book with pictures <laughs> <laughs> I'm still of that age where I yeah, like no, a book I'm, with pictures. That's fair enough. And in here it's got some fantastic pictures of all the different pubs from this area. I've just flicked open there. The Commercial Inn in Crowden. You know, a lot of these pubs are derelict now. It's got pictures of the Angel. Absolutely fantastic. But I flicked open on page 20 because here Glynis kind of sums up some of the various things to do with the mysterious lights and the legends and uh, she even talks about I, I think I mentioned before the tunnels are interesting places along Londondale Trail she talks about when they were completed by the navvies following ancient custom they placed carved stone heads in the portals to ward off evil spirits and I'd spotted some of those when uh, we put the episode out with Tim last week the archaeologist Tim Campbell Green where we found I can't remember what the fancy word is it's something like Apocryac. Uh, anyway, it's markings that look like two V's, upside down V's, that are meant to uh, ward off witches. All right. 
Um, so she mentions that here, so that's good to tie up those loose ends. But she talks about the uh, mysterious lights on Shining Clough, which is to the right of where we are, sometimes burn brightly against the night sky. They've been likened to the Devil's Bonfires. Uh, the Devil's Elbow is a sharp bend which cuts deep into the hillside along the road from Glo- uh, Glossop to Crowden. It is said that the bend was formed by the Devil's Elbow smashing into the hill during a fight over a fair maiden. The Devil lost the fight and tore off his his injured arm in a fit of rage. Uh, there are other stories in the Valley of Damsels in Distress being rescued from the Devil's Clutches, and the area is reputed to be haunted by a giant slug which slithers across the road at the Devil's Elbow before disappearing into the moors. It's wow. cool, isn't it's it? It's very cool, yeah. It's very cool. Right, the other book that I brought out is uh, by John Walker and Michael Neville. Uh, it's The Folklore of Tameside, Myths and Legends little pink post-it here honestly you should see the books that i've got it's like there are post-its there are underlines there's highlighters um so page 63 in their book is under the chapter tales of the supernatural it talks about the many different stories about the devil in Longdale. It picks out two in particular Uh, one of them is about the witch nell nettlespike who became so drunk with her own power that one day she decided she would tackle the devil who at the time was living within the hill known as Kinder Scout. <laughs> just the devil popping over yeah, to Kinder Scout. Yeah, anyway, knowing that the devil had the highest lookout on the di- on the district, she roamed the hills till she found the next highest point, later known as the Devil's Shelf, uh, from which she intended to spy out the land next morning. But she was a bit tired, so she lay down. She had a bit of a, a nana nap. A nella nap. A nella nap, yeah? yeah. Very good. Now, anyway, the devil, he's a bit wiser than she thought. And he was, she, he was watching Nell. And as soon as she fell asleep, he stretched out his long arm. I just liked that detail. And seized her and basically captured her and stuck her in a cave near to Kinder Scout. Uh, she did, however, manage to finally escape. And she flew like the wind across the bleak moors. But the devil saw her as she was vanishing in the distance on the other side of Bleaklow Moor, perhaps near to where we are now. Uh, he took three long strides. I mean, he's got massive arms, enormous, massive yeah. legs. <laughs> yeah. And with his arm at full stretch, struck down the witch just as she was going over the edge of the hill, which was afterwards known as Nell's Pike, which I've always wondered how yeah. do the names of places get the names of places? <laughs> Well, there you go. Anyway, Nell rolled down the hill into the wood before she quickly died, uh, below where she quickly died, but not before she had cursed her murderer. Uh, apparently, when Nell died, she was said to have left a baby witch who later became known as Nan Nutter because she fed on nuts <laughs> in the wood. Nan grew to be greatly feared by children of Longdendale. <laughs> she would chase children and terrorise them, making horrible faces and showing them her hideous green teeth. Uh, she was known as Nanny Green Teeth. Well, I know. I, I, interestingly, uh, my wife's dad. He's not <laughs> called. Want, he's not called no, Mister no, no, Green Teeth, is not. he? But if uh, Susanna always used to talk about, she didn't clean her teeth. Her dad would say, "You look like Jenny Green Teeth." So I wonder whether that was. And they're you know children of Longdendale, so maybe there is something in that. Oh, that's so pretty mad, yeah. isn't it? I mean, Nanny and Jenny pretty close together aren't they so they they could yeah yeah so they also hang on a sec i've got like more time to one page 63 page 64 on the on this book it also talks about uh, the nanny green teeth it continues she decided she was gonna uh 
leave the valley. She climbed up the slopes of Nell's Pike, unknowingly following the footsteps of her mother. As she proceeded over Bleaklow Moor, dread seized her, and she climbed to the Snake Valley. Her witch's instincts became alert. Suddenly, she turned to retrace her steps, but the devil had seen her and in one stride was over the valley. The earth shook with his tread, but the witch fled with even swifter feet than her mother had. She reached Nell's pike just as the devil was raising his arm to strike. It's like deja vu! Um, But the ghost of Nell Nettlespike was on the watch and tripped him up in his last stride. So hang on. Her mom, her mom, basically, her mom's ghost (laughs) saved her baby witch daughter from the the devil devil with massive arms and massive legs. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it talked about um, a a local farmer, um, a shepherd, John Brown, who lived at the Quiet Shepherd, uh, was the other side of the valley and was just proceeding to hang the moon up. Right. Yep, as you do, as a shepherd does. When the shock of the devil's fall shook the moon from its precarious hold and it fell with its edge on the devil's arm and severed it near the shoulder. <laughs> so has he lost both arms at this point? Well... Because uh, he'd torn his other one off when he got angry, <laughs> didn't he? So... so anyway... <laughs> so it's just a flesh wound. So Nell's pike was turned into devil's elbow, the bear track which Nan is supposed to have made with her feet as she swerved out of the way of the devil's clutch is known as Nan's Swerve and runs along the southern side of the Longdendale Valley. Wow, and that was, you know, a lovely bird agreeing with us. <laughs> so, uh, yes, and there, there are there is also a bit of a love story around the Devil's Elbow. Oh, thanks so much for entertaining us. <laughs> Music as we talk about stories. Um, okay, so scrap that one. That all sounds a bit mad with, like, yeah. witches and bent elbows and stuff. Let's go back to a classic love story. Okay. Once upon a time. (laughs) So there was um, Baron de Morland who lived in a castle in the Etherow Valley, probably Mouselow. His daughter Geraldine, oh, it's so beautiful to hear them, and Sir Mottram de Mosland, who lived nearby, fell in love. But any chances of marriage were shattered by de Morland's oath that he would send her to the devil if she ever spoke to de Mosland again. The girl was determined to see her lover and she arranged to meet him in secret. But as the lovers met, the devil appeared in his own shape and was just about to seize the girl when just in time Sir Mottram pulled her away. They fled searching for running water to cross. The devil soon caught up but just as he was bending to seize them, a dazzling light appeared in the sky and a mighty voice cried, Hold! The devil halted in surprise, and when he recovered, both the bright light and the lovers were gone. The devil's arm had been turned to stone, bent as it was just about to grab them. So he broke it off and left it there. He left his arm there in disgust, hence the name The Devil's Elbow. It is said that the lovers were turned into two white swans by the fairies and can still sometimes be seen along the banks of the Etherow. Okay. I've never seen swans. Have you ever seen swans? <laughs> no. no. Right. I think we all Why need a little they? moment oh, there, don't say. we? Which one do you prefer? Uh, I, I quite like the kind of lovers, you know, the Mossland and the. Uh, it's just strong names. Sumatran de Mossland is a strong <laughs> name, isn't it? Just of Mouselow. Yeah. Although I quite like that the devil in both stories just gets annoyed and tears his own arm off. But it's a bit confusing with De Morland and De Mossland. Yeah. And why do they dislike each other? You need to throw Empty Hill in there as well. well Empty exactly. Hill, De Morland, De Mossland. <laughs> you should form like some rap trio. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I mean, I did actually go to a brilliant workshop run by Michelle Collier, who did an artist in residency in Glossop at George Street Bookstore. And that's where we met actually at her event, didn't we? And um, one of the workshops she uh, had there was she got a a load of the folklore from this area, not just Longdendale, but Glossop and all around. And uh, we were invited to make up our own folklore. And I do wonder, I'd love to hear people's own version of like that you know what how devil's elbow got its name i mean there is something lovely about that though isn't it you know even if it is kind of the imagination required it's kind of quite i guess playful well i mean there's a lot of obviously a lot of devil mention and you know john brown hanging up moons and stuff i just i enjoy the idea that people can kind of come up with these really fantastical stories to i mean they may well be true but you know the, the the stories told around landscapes and stuff, especially landscapes that people have grown up with generationally. I, I love the idea that you know people tell their, their kids and pass on these myths and legends and stuff. I think it's really um, yeah, I think it's really human, isn't it? I don't really understand why that was there, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a story about why that's there. Yeah, but you know, you started with something that I thought was interesting because I suppose at the heart, I am a city girl too, and there was I had a bit of trepidation about having the courage to maybe come and walk here on my own maybe then take it from the flat safe paths of the reservoir to further up the hills to have the confidence to come up here this is one of my favorite spots um on my own and work out how to get there and navigate through cattle through i've been up here in snow and winds and things but I think there can be, there feels like a bit of a theme here that, you know, the the tops of the moors are the places where the devil is. You know, like these are the big bad places. <laughs> yeah. And you used the word um, forbidding, I think, yeah, yeah. earlier. That atmosphere, I suppose, that is evoked from some of the words that people use is quite interesting and in how that's kind of filtered through our conscience. Like, oh, I can't go up there. That's a big bad place yeah. where the devil is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean some of it is super remote. I mean, Bleaklow... Bleaklow lives up to its name when the, you know when the weather comes down, and obviously you know it has the history of you know the crashes and other stuff. I know you've done some stuff around the fake crashes recently. They are quite forbidding in the sense that if you're not properly prepared or you've, you've not got a map, you don't know how to read a map or that kind of stuff, you can get yourself quite quickly into trouble. But they are, obviously they're quite beautiful places as well. Um, we were talking the other day about the mountain hares, and I think it's one of the only places in in the country where you can actually find them up here. You know, when you spot one up there, it's a really magical experience. Yeah. It is a magical experience, and there's no there's no devil involved in that, I don't think. And um, the Pennines being the Pennines, and, and this area being this area in terms of weather, when it is shoddy weather, it does feel pretty pretty bleak and grim. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I... maybe that's where it gets its reputation more than anything <laughs> else. Really, it's just the rain when it comes in. But uh, on a sunny day, there's nothing better, is there? So no, not at all. I mean, what kind of catches your eye? If you were, like, writing something for, like, a bit of a description of this place and this situation, the weather as it is, the day as it is, what kind of details catch your eye? Okay. I always like to kind of see Um, and hear other people's perspective. I mean, for me, it's always the sense of scale and distance, you know, the kind of... I'm not sure what range we're looking at there. Across the, the back, you've got the kind of faint, ghostly outlines of hills that are far beyond these... And that's always quite, you know, evokes something or other. I actually, for me still, even the little details like the pylons, the road, just this this sense of like humans being quite small little features in this massively wild, quite vast landscape. I kind of quite like the contrast there. Um, You mentioned home moss earlier on again. That's another little example of, you know, little technical things sticking out of a, you know, a very natural space. 
kind of scree slopes, the, the, the different ramps and shapes of, of things, um, the kind of almost lunar features up on the top of the hills up there, which look a little bit more kind of, you know, I guess quite wild really, but again, they're just interesting, aren't they? The gritstone and the different kind of formations sticking out and making bluffs and, and ridges and stuff. I always find that, you know, there's a lot of nice words in geology and in and in kind of, you know, even I mean, even we're sitting right next to a dry stone wall, which is mostly collapsed, but there's something quite nice about that. You've got the lichen on there, lots of different colours. Um, and actually, at this time of year, we're not really in much of a kind of colourful season, but you can kind of look around and, you know, there's still plenty of green, lots of browns, shading down into the greys and blacks, and then the kind of very yellows of uh, kind of, of, of the grass. Uh, the long grasses up here and then again closer to where we're sitting mosses lichen as i just said yeah <laughs> that was a lot of detail wasn't it that, that's, that's, described it all but yeah that's excellent and uh, and i think what i've really enjoyed about having this month to stomp you know th- this is this is my last interview so it's great to share this moment with you i look out and see this whole landscape through new eyes you know i discovered that the, the scree landslide that you see there, that was an old quarry. Yeah. And, um, you know, someone had told me that you you follow, you can also see the old paths where they would have dragged up, you know, the carts to collect all the rocks and take it down. I mean, I see across the way, there's like a, a zigzag path, which takes you up around the side of Didsbury intake. Yeah, I start to see and hear almost the stories and imagine the people that I've been reading about. I can you know to bring to my mind the idea of Nell pegging it across that hill to the right yeah. and the devil chasing yeah, her yeah. you know with this massive like lanky kind of frame <laughs> and then the the road of Woodhead Pass which cuts through the landscape opposite only a couple of weeks ago was I walking that road by foot and I was recording in that forest straight in front of us where there was the sound of melting ice all around me and the birds overhead and there wasn't a single car really passing down that route and even in the distance I think about that where there were seven reservoirs at one point that were part of this whole chain we've only looked into detail at five but the sixth one is Armfield um, Reservoir the seventh was Hollingworth Reservoir which became Swallows Woods and it's hard to sum up all the different stories and collections of things that I've kind of taken in and I hope if people have enjoyed listening to several of these episodes uh, that they'll have a different outlook that you can do what me and Matt are doing now and, and sit on the hill and capture what you see because we could come and sit in the same spot in six months and see a whole different landscape and that's what's cool about this yeah definitely and actually you just said then about you know that idea of Nell splinting across there with the devil in pursuit I I think there's almost a sense actually when you look at it like that you can actually picture how exactly it would have been a hundred years ago 200 years ago and that you know people would have been out walking it in the same ways that we do now um albeit with you know slightly less technical clothing and stuff but I think that's it isn't it it's the sense that actually these places that are quite raw don't really change and and while things do change around them and and kind of the cars that move on the roads between them and stuff do change I think actually well who knows what it'll look like in 50 100 years of time but you do get the sense that they they do sort of have a bit of a, a permanence really don't they yeah yeah imagine if we do this same thing in 20 years time and 
you know it's it's on on our digital map longdendaletales.co.uk with we're pinned and we're continuing to pin lots of different archive photos and artwork and poems and yeah music and all kinds of different things to to kind of collect and put a place you know where all these stories can live as one next to each other and even you know the photos um when I went over across the way to Timwhistle Nar, opposite where we're sat today, um, with Alan and Phil for the episode nine, I think it was, about the aircraft um, wrecks of Timwhistle Nar. And we recreated um, some photos uh, before we started recording. Um, 20 years of difference between the two photos of how the crash sites had changed. And there you really see how the landscape is now gone from this kind of barren grey rocky landscape to filled with heather with sphagnum moss with grass it's it's really changed and i like the fact that that's just the you know dropping a pin in two different locations in 20 years but uh, i'd be really intrigued you know if you're listening to this and you have photos if you have stories of things that have happened over the last 20 50 years within your family then do get in touch because whilst we're coming to the end of this particular podcast series it's definitely something i don't i think i've only scratched the surface here i think i really have there are so many different avenues and um, look we're going to put a link to your website where people can find about your books cool. is there any particular book that you would like to um give a shout out to tell <laughs> us about in particular <laughs> Uh, I suppose the last two are the most kind of relevant, if you like, but Zero Bomb in particular... What's it called? Zero Bomb. Okay. ...is set in a place partially based on kind of Glossop and the area around it. Um, and actually the first sequence in it takes place on, on a reservoir. There's a man running around a reservoir and he finds a pile of rabbit entrails. Uh, and that is, you know... <laughs> I mean, that was something that happened to me. I was running around the reservoir and found a pile of rabbit entrails with no real kind of explanation, just a very neat pile of entrails. So maybe that's a, a, a relevant one. Is that a bit of a weird way to... <laughs> Which to reservoir to, was it? Um, bottoms. No Yeah, way. yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think the last two, so that, yeah, the Zero Bomb and The Breach are probably the ones that have the most kind of more nature infused sort of stuff going on if you like so yeah <laughs> there you go well you, you never know you might hear of uh nanny green teeth or nels I th- pike i think it'd be the slug i'm gonna have to do something with the slug <laughs> the gritty slug that comes down this hill that's gonna definitely go in something <laughs> i love it look we hope you've enjoyed this and maybe you've um, taken the hike up to uh, peak snays as well uh, the access land around here is really wonderful i think it's a very untapped location um yeah get out walking uh, enjoy the fact that springtime is just about showing its head and uh, i'll be back with the last couple of episodes in the next couple of days thanks very much